So this is week number four of a seven-week teaching series called The Vineyard Initiative. The Vineyard Initiative is just our vocabulary for what a disciple is, what discipleship looks like. It's seven weeks of teachings that press into seven actions that are required. They're not recommended, they're not encouraged, they're required to be an effective disciple of God, of Jesus Christ. We take these teachings from these next 57 words, right? It's just 57 words in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones, and then he planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes but the grapes that grew were bitter. When I knew that discipleship was what we were going to be all about as a church four years ago, I asked the Lord, give me a scripture for the students, for my ministry, that will teach us how to be disciples and make disciples and what discipleship is. And I prayed, and I opened the word to Isaiah chapter 5, and I read those lines. And I go, okay, that's it. I know that's what you're telling me. That's how you want to make disciples in student ministry But what does that mean? A vineyard and stones and planting? I don't get it. I don't understand. And I would begin for the next several months praying about these four sentences, pressing into them, researching them. And the more that I did, the more I saw. This is the picture of what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who puts their faith in action, right? In the first action, if you call yourself a disciple, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, your first action is... You receive from God. You want to be a disciple, you need to know how to receive with gratitude, with all of yourself. Receive what Jesus gave to you on the cross. Receive the words in this book. you got to be a recipient because it's a free gift, right? That's action step number one. It's what we talked about week number one. Step two, week two, we talked about how disciples, once they've received, they need to protect what they've been given. If you're given a gift of great value and there is no greater gift than Jesus Christ, you need to protect that gift because you've got an enemy that's going to steal it from you who's looking actively for ways to take what God has given you and desires to give you. You want to protect what God gives you, and it's an action. It's ongoing. You need to become experts at protecting what God has given you and what he's trying to give you for the rest of your life. No exceptions. Week three, we talked about the third step of a disciple is that you need to remove the stones from your heart. you got a vineyard. You want to plant something good in it, you got to get the junk out of the dirt first. And what's the junk that can pile up in our hearts that prevent us from receiving from the Lord? It's our sin. It's our bad behavior. It's our lying and cheating and unforgiveness and gossip. And, you know, insert your thing here. But whatever that thing is in you that is preventing you from having a closer walk with the Lord, preventing you from really embracing who God calls you to be, you're not a loser. You're not invisible. You're not a junkie. You're not a pervert. You're not a whatever. Your sons and daughters, your royalty, your princes and princesses, and etc. you need to remove that ugly lie and replace it with something. You need to remove the stones from your heart and replace them with something. And that's what brings us to week number four. I want to show you guys a picture of a field, and I showed it to you in last week's message, but this is right outside the front yard of the retreat center we go to when we go on mission trips to Turkey. 
And this is a field, and they've got some crops growing. They just pre- uh, creeped up out of the ground on the left, and on the right is this rocky field. This is the Vineyard Initiative, right? This is a perfect picture of what we need to be mindful of. The stones in that right side of the field have prevented anything from taking root. Because they have not removed the rocks from the soil, you can't plant and have anything grow. If you've got something in your heart that's ugly, that's not really who God made you to be, that's a sin, if you don't remove it, good stuff cannot grow. It's just a law of nature, and it's a law of the spiritual life too. But look at the other side. That's the side they pulled the stones out of. And all across, there's beautiful green little buds coming up. And soon that will be wheat that will be harvested, that will be beneficial, that will be fruitful, that they'll be able to sell and make money. All kinds of good stuff come when you've removed the stones from a field and planted it with good seed, right? With good plants. If that's how your life feels, empty, barren, jagged, I would challenge you You've got something that still needs to be removed. But if you're starting to see the fruit of God's work in your life, then maybe you've already removed that thing. Keep it out of there. Um, What are the stones, right? Again, it's sin. It's selfishness. It's false beliefs about yourself or about who God is. It's unforgiveness. It's a huge one. You got anybody in your life that you just refuse to forgive? That's a stone in your heart. It's weighing you down. Get rid of it. Forgive that person. Even if they don't deserve it in your eyes, even if they didn't ask for it. Jesus forgave us before we were born, right? What right do we have to not forgive someone? How do you remove the stones? What's what we talked about last week. Just acknowledge, man, I got a problem. I got an issue. I got a struggle here. I can't get rid of it. I can't get past it. Just acknowledge it. Just admit it. Don't hide it. Don't lie about it. Acknowledge that you got an issue, that you need some help. Ask Jesus for that help. You can ask me too. You can ask Brooke. You can ask your small group leader, but ask Jesus first and foremost for help, getting rid of that sin. It's what he came for. He's an expert at it. He can take care of it. And we acknowledge it and we ask for that help through the process of confession and repentance. Lord, I confess I need help and I'm going this way, but I want to make a 180 degree turn and walk away from my sin and toward you. So, The stone in our heart that we need to remove is sin. We remove it by confessing and repenting, by asking Jesus for help. But once the stones are cleared, we get this open, rich field, this rich, healthy dirt. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to use it? Um, That soil is just begging for something to be planted into it. We're called to be planters. Jesus says in the Vineyard Initiative and all through the Bible, Plant good things in your heart. Well, what are we called to plant? Well, in the scripture it says, my beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. My beloved is God. The vineyard is you. The rich and fertile hill is the Christian life. He plowed the land, which means he protected it. He cleared its stones, which means he got rid of the sin and the junk and the roots and the rocks. And then he planted it with the best vines. What are we supposed to plant in place of our sin? The best vines. Well, this was a tough one for me. When my research, because I'm like, what's the best vines? What does that mean? What's the ancient Hebrew word for it? What's the history? What does this mean, the best vines? Um, There's just four sentences in Isaiah chapter 5. Four sentences made up of 56 words. Seven of them are verbs. And yet there is so much more here. Have you guys ever read something in the Bible and you just didn't understand it? 
Raise your hand. You ever read anything in the Bible and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what that means. Me too. And I felt that way when I first read this. In fact, I felt that way for months as I continued to research this. This is a deep passage. There's so much more here than meets the eye, just like the rest of Scripture. Well, what do you do when you don't understand something? You ask questions. You get into homework mode and you do some research. Um, First and foremost, when you're reading the Bible and you don't understand something, you should ask the Lord right there on the spot. Lord, give me wisdom to understand what this means, what this is saying. I hope you guys have some good, reliable, proven resources when it comes to reading the Bible. Do you you just read it and you just leave it at that, or do you do some homework? Do you research when you don't understand it? There's a lot of research tools out there. One of my favorites, it's accessible to everyone, is BibleGateway.com, www.BibleGateway.com. I'll show you the homepage. This is it. You can put this in your phone, you can put this into your computer, whatever, and put in BibleGateway.com, and this is the page you'll see, right? The top middle, that empty bar, you can just type in the name of a book with a verse reference or not, and it'll bring it up. The little white bar next to it, you can even pick what kind of Bible you want. Do you know that there's like hundreds of versions of the Bible? They're all true. They're all right. They all agree with each other, but they're written in different styles. They're written at different times. So we teach from the New Living Translation of the Bible because it's more like a story. It's more poetic. It's more visual. And that's the kind of guy I am. But maybe you want to teach or learn from the English Standard Version, which is much more like scholastic. Maybe you want to learn from the Message Version, which is really poetic. You pick your version, whatever you like. But you type in the name of the book or the letter you want to read about, boom, there it is. Or if you want to know, man, I'm curious about sin in the Bible, or where does it talk about vineyards in the Bible? You type that word in there, and every single reference to the word sin or vineyard or whatever comes up. It's an amazing resource, and it's super proven and reliable. This is what I use when I write my sermons, right? Rather than opening my Bible and typing out every, I just go here, because I know it's legit. I cut and paste and put it in. And then if I want to research, well, you see on the right, it says study this in that blue tab. And then underneath, you got study Bibles, you got commentaries, you got dictionaries, you got encyclopedias. There's a whole nother slew of resources there. I often go to the commentary section. Go to the next page for me, buddy. So this is the commentary on chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 of Isaiah, which is what we're teaching on. When I first came to this, I typed in commentary. I typed in Isaiah chapter 5, and I get this. And there is so many cross-references. There's so many thoughts. This four sentences of Isaiah chapter 5, there's books written on it. There's whole papers and dissertations. There's so much more research that's been done that we can benefit from to understand what is this talking about. My favorite on here is Matthew Henry's commentary. Go to the next picture. This is one commentary that I cut and pasted and put in there and it doesn't even all fit on those two sentences. There's so much available information to help you understand what am I reading and what does this mean? And if you would just take advantage of it, you could read a passage and not understand it. Use this tool, BibleGateway.com, and learn so much. So much of my understanding came through prayer and a good resource. I hope you guys don't just settle for I don't understand and walk away. I mean, if you don't understand something at school and you got a test on it, don't you need to do some research? How much more important that you do that for your spiritual life? All right, that's just one example of a tool. I highly recommend it. Next time you find yourself at a wall reading the Bible, go to BibleGateway.com, type in your passage or your question, and see what comes up.
So back to today, today's verb, today's action, today's requirement of being an effective disciple. Disciples need to plant in their heart the best vines. What are the best vines? Well, I learned from those commentaries what the Bible's referring to when it says the best vines. The word, the best vines, that phrase in Hebrew literally translates to the vine of Sorek, S-O-R-E-K. The best vines refers to a particular vine called the vine of Sorek. It is the choice vine. It is a special vine. It's a vine that only grew in one particular region of one particular land. Didn't grow anywhere else. It was a really specific vine. It wasn't just best vines in general. I'll take some of those. It was the vine of Sorek, and it grew in the valley of Sorek, or sometimes it's known as the valley of Eskol. So it's the particular vine that grows in a particular place called the valley of Sorek, or the valley of Eskol. So from there, I can go in and not just type in best vines and search, but I go in and I type in vine of Sorek, and a lot of stuff comes up. And I start to, and you're going to start to get a better appreciation for what is the best vines. I got three references to the vine of Sorek that show up in the Old and New Testament, but there are many more. But we're going to cruise through them. The first reference of what is the vine of Sorek, what is the best vine, comes to us from Numbers chapter 13. It's the story of when the spies who were in the wilderness for 40 years, well, they finally make it to the promised land and they send 12 spies to go and scout the land that God is giving to them. And they come back and it says this, when they came to the valley of Sorek, they cut down the branch of a vine with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two men to carry it. Have you ever seen a cluster of grapes, right? I wish I had a picture, but it's a little thing on the vine. It's got maybe 40 or 50 grapes. You maybe see some Roman pictures where they're like feeding them. That's a cluster of grapes. The grapes on this vine, and this is true, were so big that one cluster, they had to take a, a long pole and set the grapes on it and carry it. It took two men to carry this giant cluster of grapes. That's amazing. That's crazy. I want to see this vine that makes one cluster of grapes so big that only it takes two men to carry it. So that's the first reference that we see of the vine that I saw when I'm researching the vine of Sorek. It's got some big grapes. It's got some big fruit associated with it. The second reference comes to us from Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 49. It's a prophetic word from Moses, the author of Genesis. And he says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. He ties his foal, or donkey, to the vine of Sorek the cult of his donkey, to a choice vine. Two references. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Some deep, beautiful, poetic language there. The vine of Sorek has grapes so big that it takes two men to carry them. Has a vine, the root of which is so thick you can tie a stubborn, strong donkey to it and he can't break it. 
Vines usually have a base this big. This one's this big, right? But there's other things here too. The vine of Sorek has to do with someone who's coming with great power and authority. The vine of Sorek, these best vines, has something to do with someone who's coming that will have many descendants whom all nations will honor and who must be washed in blood. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Son of God, the one that will rule all nations, who had to be washed in blood, the vine of Sorek. The third reference comes to us from the New Testament book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John says in chapter 15, Jesus declared, I am the true vine. You know what that means, literally? He's saying, I am the vine of Sorek. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Jesus Christ just said, I am the vine. I am the vine of Sorek. And he says, if you want to remain in me and I remain in you, you need to remain in my word. Jesus Christ is the word of God. His whole life is this book. Every word of this book is either in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus or in the New Testament pointing back to Jesus. This book is the word of God and the word of God is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the best vine. He's the vine of Sorek. All of that from two words, best vines, some prayer and a little research. I could have just passed right over it. I could have just ignored it. But here's Jesus. Here's God through his word speaking to me personally and now you from thousands of years ago saying, if you want to be a disciple, you need to plant Jesus Christ and his words in your heart. You need to remove your sin and plant Jesus and his word. How are you doing planting Jesus in your heart? How are you guys doing in reading your Bible? It is the most common I will statement from any given Wednesday in this building. I will read my Bible more. And every Wednesday, I sit down with a group, and somebody said that and didn't do it. We are robbing ourselves of the best fruit, the best vines, when we say, oh, I'll read my Bible later. There are people in this world that would die for a page out of this book. And many of us not only have one Bible at home, but 10 or 20. They're all over this room. If you don't have one, take one. But this is the true vine. This is Jesus in the flesh his words given to us to teach us who he is and how to live. And we hurt ourselves. We shame ourselves not to pick this up and read it. So now we know who and what the vine is. Let's recap once again. Disciples receive from the Lord. Disciples protect what the Lord gives. Disciples remove their sin. And disciples plant God's words in their heart. How are you doing? Are you struggling? You got questions? Is your faith teeter-tottery sometimes? Are you planting God's word in your heart on a regular,
consistent basis. I ain't perfect, but I try to read this book every day. And every day I read this book, my day is better because I've had days where I don't read this book and they're near, nowhere near as good as the days that I do. What does it look like to plant God's word in your heart? Well, it's right there on the second half of John 15. Yes, Jesus proclaimed, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, without reading my word, you can't do anything. Anyone who does not remain in me, in my word, reading my Bible on a daily basis, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, and it withers, and such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Can he be any more serious how important it is that we read the Bible? That's scary to me. Like, not horrified, like, God, what's your problem, Jesus? But like, that's a call to arms to me. That's a, I gotta get serious about this. And why? Because he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask me for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples and this brings great glory to my Father. There's a warning in here, but there's also a promise. There's something scary in here, but there's something powerful and beautiful too. The benefits that can, you can expect, you can bank on it, the benefits of you and I reading our Bible is it means we stay close to Jesus. You ever feel far from Jesus? Well, how are you doing in your Bible reading? You read your Bible. You plant God's word in your heart. You stay close to Jesus. You produce fruit. You make disciples. Um, your prayers are not hindered, but answered. You'll be known as his disciples. Do people know you as a follower of Jesus? You'll bring glory to God. Your life, your words, your actions will glorify God. That's our purpose. That's the reason we were born, to know God and glorify him. Now what happens? What are the consequences that are clearly laid out in here if we fail to read the word? If we fail to remain in Jesus it means we're going to be far from Jesus. We're not going to produce fruit. Our prayers will literally, like, they'll be hindered. We won't represent Jesus well. We will not bring glory to God. Man, which one do you want? Which one are we called to, right? It's, it's like there's no question which we should do, and yet we consistently do the wrong. We can consistently miss out. Let's tell you a story. Last year, I taught the same sermon, and we're talking about planting, and the day before the sermon, I got a Facebook message, or a phone call from a former student, this Marine named Michael, and you may have been here last year, but I talked about Michael, showed his picture, told his story, but Michael called me the day before this sermon, and he's just weeping, this huge, burly soldier who I had discipled and taught just like you. I hadn't seen him in years, but he just calls me in tears. He said, Pastor Justin, I've been making some bad decisions. I've been living a, a sad excuse of a Christian life. I, I've been saying whatever I want. I've been doing whatever I want. And I have hurt everyone in my life. And I have hurt myself. 
And he got into details, but that's the gist of it. He has been living far from God, and he's been hurting himself and the people around him as a result. Why was he hurting himself and the people around him? Because he had no boundaries. He just did whatever he wanted. And don't we get hurt when we just do whatever we want, whatever we think is best? You're darn right you do. I sure do. Here's some quotes from that conversation. Uh, I want to stop my bad behavior, but I can't. Do you have bad behavior that you just can't stop? Michael knows how you feel. I know how you feel. I want to stop my bad behavior, but I can't. I have no control over my thoughts. You ever feel like that? The devil is attacking me all day long. You ever feel like that? I don't know who I am anymore. These are Michael's confessions on the phone. His life, just a mess. His circumstances, a mess. He's facing some legal trouble. He's facing some people that want to hurt him. He's facing expulsion from the military. His life, garbage. Pain and suffering. And he called and shared that and just kind of confessed. And he said, I want to repent. I want to do a 180. I want to walk away from this lifestyle. What can I do? I prayed for him. And because I was teaching the Vineyard Initiative that week, I shared exactly what I've been talking to you guys about for four weeks. Well, buddy, you need to receive God's grace. You gotta be a recipient. You gotta protect what God gives you. You gotta protect your faith. You gotta protect your salvation. You gotta remove your sin, which you just did by confessing. And you gotta plant God's word in your heart. That was the main thing. You gotta start reading your Bible again, Michael, and you, start, you need to start walking out what it says. You need to start believing what it says about who God is and who he created you to do. And so that's what he started doing. He stopped sinning, started reading his Bible. We'd talk a couple times after that over the course of a month, and he started to do a little better and a little better. Michael sent me a Facebook message this summer in late July. Here's what it said. Hey, guys, I just wanted to say hi. I know I haven't been in much contact, but things got really hectic over here. He's overseas doing military stuff. Do y'all remember, about a year ago, I called you both, me and Brooke, bawling my eyes out over some things that were going on. Well, I just want to tell y'all, things have turned around 180 degrees for me since then. I have found an amazing woman that I've been with about a year. And in December, a couple months from now, I'm going to ask her to be my wife. She has a son named Braylon that I love, and he's great. I know you have a lot going on your way as well, but I just wanted to touch base and to say thank you for being there, for telling me what I needed to hear. Thanks goes to God for leading my hands and feet, but thanks goes to you for leading me back where I needed to be with him. I don't want to think about where I'd be if I hadn't made that call. So thank you both. I love you guys from the bottom of my heart, and I pray for you daily. I'll see you later. That was a message that Michael sent us. You know what Michael's been doing the last year more than anything else? He's been reading his Bible every day. He's been attacking the lies that the enemy has been telling him for years by planting truth, by planting love, by planting grace, by planting God's word in his heart. And this is less than a year later, and his life has made a 180-degree turn. He's found a woman he loves with a son he adores, and he's going to marry her. He's done well in his career. That's less than a year. Imagine, if you will, where might you be one year from today if you get rid of your junk and start reading this book and living by it every day?
it is not that big a deal to do. Oh, I don't know when I'll read the Bible. Oh, it's so, I don't understand. You have no excuse. But don't do it for the warning's sake alone. Do it for the promise. Where might you be? What might your life look like? One year from today, if you read this book and walk out what you read for one straight year, your life will be transformed. You'll be stronger for it. You'll be better for it. You'll be more fruitful for it. Only good things will come to you from reading this book. So many of you, hurting, lost, desperate, secret sin, you can turn it around by just deciding, I'm gonna read my Bible every single day and I'm gonna try and do what it says. It doesn't call for perfection, just needs you to try, needs you to be willing. I'm speaking to whoever in this room right now is like, well, I've got this. I don't care. This trumps what's in you. This overcomes what you're struggling with. Plant these words in your heart and you will blossom. You will grow. You will be fruitful. You will plant something alive in your heart and it will blossom into fruitfulness and beauty and supernatural stuff will start to happen all around you. The Bible says of itself, like this book talks about itself, which I think is awesome. In Isaiah 56, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and they stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish what I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. God's words in this book are like rain and snow and nourishment that he is raining down and all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is open it and read it, saturate your soul in it, and good things will grow in you. I'm gonna invite the band to cruise up here. I'm gonna take a drink of water because I'm parched. And we're gonna close. I'm gonna close with a final warning and a final promise to every one of you in this room. This is personal. Your heart is a field. Your heart is like rich dirt. And it was made to receive Jesus. You were made to receive God's word. Um, Every time you confess or repent or decide, I don't wanna do this anymore, you're removing a stone. You have to plant something in its place. What happens if you're working in the yard and you clear out a bunch of weeds and crud and dead stumps and don't plant anything? What's gonna grow there? More weeds, more junk. You have to be intentional. You cannot just confess and repent. You must then plant God's word in the place of that hurt, that bad behavior you got rid of or you'll be overtaken. Look at this picture. We'll call this the field of death. So it's a cemetery and it's been overgrown with poison oak and thorns and junk. You can't even walk through there. It's just a mess. Here's the warning. Your heart will fill up with poisonous stuff, junk, 
thorns, despair, stones commemorating what could have been if you fail to plant God's word in yourself. But if you read your Bible, if you live by it, if you plant Jesus and his word in your heart, next picture, you get the field of life. If we succeed in planting God's word in our heart and living in it, it says we're like a healthy, beautiful vineyard. And your heart will fill up and overflow with life, fruit, purpose, a future. Which of these do you want? The gross, dirty place of death and hopelessness and despair? Or the beautiful field of life that will not only bless you, but everyone you know? It feels like a pretty simple decision. Disciples read the word, remain in the word, walk out the word. And we get blessed doing it. Remember what our first scripture said. When they came to the valley of Sorek, they cut down the branch of a vine with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two men to carry it. God's blessings for you are ridiculous. They are incomparable. They are better than anything you can imagine. A single grape the size of a, of a dude. One cluster. Two men to carry it. That's how big the blessings are that are waiting for you to start walking in faith and reading the word. You just have to receive it. You just have to pick up this book and spend a little time. I mean, 10 minutes a day will transform your whole week. I challenge you as your pastor, and I do this too, so I expect it of you. Read this book every day. Be blessed by it. Expect blessings so big that you're going to need a friend to help you carry them. We're going to have a time of response, and we have our tithe, and we have our communion, and we're going to worship, but I want you guys to just bow your heads for a minute. I want to pray for you. But I want you to be intentional. Agree with this prayer. Cry out for what I'm crying out for you. Jesus, we want to plant your word in our hearts and we have let too many things get in the way of our time with you. May we remove every excuse. May we remove every hindrance, every stumbling block. I pray today in your name, by your power, for your glory. May we each spend some time in your living and active transformative word. We don't want our prayers to be hindered. We don't want to not bring you glory. We want to be fruitful. We want to live a life of purpose, of supernatural things happening around us. It will not happen apart from spending time with you in your word. Student, right now, commit yourself. Devote yourself. Express to Jesus, I want to read the Bible. Help, help me do it. I want to obey your word. Help me do it. I want to understand what this book says and what it's about. Help me do it. You ask him that. You beg for that. He will move on your behalf right now.
read a chunk of scripture over you as you remain in prayer. You've heard it before this series, but just inviting the gravity, the beauty of what's at stake with the decision to receive or not receive, protect or not protect, remove sin, not remove sin, plant God's word or don't. Today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Sons and daughters, I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in the way of the Bible. If you do this, you will live, you will multiply, and the Lord your God will bless your socks off. But if your heart turns away, if you refuse to listen to my words, if you're drawn away to serve and worship your own selfish desires, I warn you, you'll be destroyed. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, and I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants and your disciples might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his words, committing yourself firmly to him. Sons and daughters, this decision is the key to your life. Jesus, may we all decide afresh for you this morning to remain in you today and every day going forward. May we decide right now, no matter what it takes, I will read your word. I will plant your truth in my heart at least once every day of this week. May we be surprised. May we be filled with awe and wonder at how quickly you bless us as a result of this basic obedience. We receive what you have in store for us. May we not hinder it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.